you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hi, my name is Janine Garner and I am the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. It's an absolute joy to bring today's episode to you. Um, A big shout out of hi to every single one of you from wherever you are. Uh, We are currently living in isolation times of COVID-19 and I'm sure for many of you this very complex uncertain, highly ambiguous environment that we are in is forcing you in one way or another to get curious about how you are uh, working right now, how you're living and leading right now, and even curious about what tomorrow and the next few weeks and months looks like. And that's why it's an absolute joy to bring to you my guest today. Uh, Chad Littlefield joins me today. He is the co-founder and chief experience officer of We and Me Inc., um, which is an organization whose mission is to create conversations that matter. Organizations call Chad in when they want to amplify connection, belonging, and trust in their organizations. And Forbes actually calls Chad a global expert on asking questions that build trust and connection in teams. So today, more than ever, this is what we need when we are living in an environment where we are in isolation, when we are having to distance distance ourselves, where we're having to communicate and connect digitally. How do we actually amplify that connection? Um, How do we actually build that belonging and trust whilst we may be sitting at opposite ends of a computer screen? Chad has led workshops, trainings and retreats. Uh, He's worked with numerous organizations. And this conversation was just awesome. Um, We talk a lot about the difference between uh, sipping connections versus gulping connections. So the shallow connections that we can make versus the opportunity to have uh, conversations where you are gulping in the relationship. We talk about uh, conversation ruts that we can get into. And um, also Chad shares some of his failures that have ultimately um, enabled him to continue learning learning, um, and to continue to deliver his passion, one of building connections that matter. Because as he says, at the end of the day, if we aren't connecting, uh, what really does life have at the end of it? If we aren't connecting, life really does have no meaning. So please welcome my next guest, Chad Littlefield. Enjoy this conversation. Chad, it's an absolute joy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. We are going to create a beautiful conversation. Let's hope so. I um, I love the fact that we have connected multiple times virtually. Um, I'm sure we have been in a room at the same time, but probably have never actually physically properly said hi to each other. And now we're forced to communicate virtually. One day we'll be in the same place at the same time, I have no doubt. But for now, we have to keep our social distance. In this case, in, in the U.S., we only have to keep uh, six feet, well, about, I guess, two meters apart. But I think we're about how many thousand miles away? A few. Uh, 
A few thousand, yeah. It's uh, it's a beautiful, almost lunchtime day here in Sydney. The sky is blue. The wind is moving through the trees. It is pretty gorgeous. Uh, where, where are you calling in from today? I am calling in from Asheville, North Carolina, and it's about 8 p.m. And I just set my lovely little three-month-old baby Otto down, and he is, knock on wood, sleeping. Oh, fingers crossed. If he wakes up, just bring him online. I'm sure our voices will send him back to sleep. So, uh, <laughs> so Chad, you're, um, as I uh, said in my introduction to you, you're often uh, brought in to help organizations uh, build their connection, their belonging, and, and their trust. And I'm imagining the world that we're living in right now, um, we're going to need a hell of a lot more of that as we progress through COVID-19 and come out the other end. What are you, what are you seeing um, through your lens at the moment in terms of what's, what's going on from the connection space? Yeah, it's really, really, really fascinating, actually, because, um, and you mentioned this in your last episode, actually, but the way that we are um, all being mandated to isolate and distance, um, those are words that sound like uh, loneliness. And yet it's actually having the impact, I think, for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people, making us really intentional and deliberate in how we connect and so all of a sudden, people are getting creative about hosting uh, some dance parties on Zoom with their grade school kids. Um, they're hosting happy hours uh, over video chat. And there's we're figuring out that dynamic. And I think it's actually, um, in addition to all being weird, it's adding a new dimension to our existing relationships. And I hope at the end that it, uh, that we find it actually has strengthened a lot of relationships that we may have not paid as close attention or taken for granted the fact that we could just bump into them in person. Is there anyone you've reconnected with um, in the last few weeks that for such a long time you hadn't? I, I'll tell you why I'm asking. We uh, there's, there's something really interesting going on across the Facebook land with regards to um, people around the world reconnecting from lots of memories. So my old high school, which is a long time ago, the headmaster who's now retired has actually set up a Facebook page of all former students. And literally I wake up every morning. My, I went to school in the UK, so I wake up every morning and there's uh, photos of when I was 14, 15, 16, everyone sharing memories. And um, yeah, on the one hand, it's really nice to reconnect. On the other hand, I'm literally going, oh my God, how come I don't remember any of that stuff? What on earth has happened with my brain cells? But have you reconnected <laughs> with, with anyone in the last sort of few weeks that for a long time, there hasn't been that connection there as a result of this isolation and distancing phenomena? Yeah, and I'd, lo I'd love to share an idea that is a little bit uh, contentious, which would be interesting to, to chat about with you. Um, so the way that I've seen it happening is uh, when I go into my phone, all of the group messages that kind of like fall down to the bottom of your text thread after that group has kind of fizzled out. So, uh, you know, I... Uh, 
couple of years ago led a retreat with a group of six other facilitators and hadn't heard from them in a little while. And all of a sudden that chat starts bubbling up. And so there's all of these uh, digital chats that were just sitting in an archive that are starting to bubble. And so like temporary communities are starting to pop up. Um, but one of the things that's interesting uh, that's sparked by you sharing about uh, your headmaster creating a, a, a group is this idea that was shared with me that, um, you know, social media connects us in a really interesting way, but it also slows the decay of our relationships. And so, uh, like, you know, historically humans lost, tr like humans aren't used to being adults and finding out that Susie, who I went to second grade with had apple pie for dessert tonight, right? Like we, we just aren't like, we haven't held that amount of information in our head. And so it's interesting to think about the capacity for connection too. And, and this is a time really where um, I'm trying to balance the abundance of people online and the abundance of possibility for sips of connection. And yet we know what fuels us as human beings and maintains our social health and well-being is gulps of connection. And so the depth of relationship. And so thinking about who are the 10, 12 people who, when I'm really down or uh, just need somebody to talk to, who are those people that I'm, or, or the one person that I'm talking to? Um, and these next few months are a really beautiful time to uh, make sure that those people uh, are people that you're communicating with. Instead of, um, for me, I'm a, I'm a shiny object squirrel chaser sometimes. And so I can see, oh, this person sent me a message on LinkedIn. Oh, this, oh, oh, oh. And all of a sudden I am distributed and spread thin rather than going deep um, with some of the people that I know will be around 30, 40 years from now for me in my life. Gosh, I love that concept of sips of connection and gulps of connection. I couldn't agree more because, you know, for for me, as you know, we we are quite aligned in terms of our thinking around the power of connection and working together. And um, it's, it's just such a wonderful analogy of um making sure we maintain the gulps versus getting preoccupied with the sips because I think too many sips um, actually are at risk of affecting mental health, well-being, a feeling of forward momentum versus staying still. Um, from your perspective, you know, where, where did this, this passion around communication, connection, building trust come from? Can you, can you pinpoint where it all started? I can actually, I was about half the height that I am now. Um, I watched the movie Patch Adams with Robin Williams. Have you ever seen this movie? Yes, By chance, I it's, have it's a long old. time ago, actually. It's like, uh, it's practically an archaic scroll now. I think it came out in 1995 or something. And the basic premise of the movie is Robin Williams becomes a doctor to really um, promote the quality of life over quantity. And he does so through... Um, humor and just really genuine connections with patients. And so he is able to really heal people through connection in a way that even the best, smartest, most talented clinicians can't. And so anyway, I saw that movie and I had my entire life figured out and I was just going to go be a doctor. I was going to be Patch Adams. I was going to head to med school. Um, I was thinking maybe pediatrician. And then I took a chemistry class in college and was like, oh, oh, oh boy, running away. Um, 
And that was my, for me, um, my moment of, okay, wait, wait, wait. So little life crisis, me crying on my dorm room bed in college, thinking, oh my gosh, my life is over. My whole plan just fell apart. And then realizing, whoa, 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 whoa. life is filled with uh, choices. And we don't always get to choose what happens to us, um, but we do get to choose how to respond in that moment. And so um, anyway, well, to make a long story longer, um, decided, okay, Patch Adams uh, doctor version isn't happening, but I'm still maybe out to be Patch Adams. Um, and so followed the psychology, understanding what makes people tick. And eventually what I've been um, doing for... Uh, the past decade or so is trying to figure out how to make connection and communication really easy for people um, because we live in a world where there is way too much to do and too little time to do it in. And so I'm out to just make it easier because it's often the thing that gets skipped. Those gulps of connection are often the thing that gets skipped um, in place of busyness and activity. Um, and if we can make those gulps easier to access for people, um, I think the better off and healthier we'll be. So why why do you think it's all become so tricky or complicated or why are we avoiding going down the gulp route and instead embracing um, the SIP route of connection? Uh, I think there's a handful of reasons and I would love um, – so – uh, imagine right now, Janine, that I'm holding up a mirror. I would love to ask that question back to you and hear your perspective too on this. Um, but I think my observation is, one, we take the path of least resistance. So if you turn up at a wedding, no one goes to a wedding and says, oh, who are the people that I know least in this room and can I sit down next to them? Everybody goes to the room, does a quick scan and is like, okay, there's the people that I know boom, hang out. And so we, we tend to default toward our comfort zone. And so um, asking a question that goes beyond how are you? How was your weekend? Nice day today, etc. cetera. Um, asking a question like, hey, what is one of uh, your hopes for what the future holds for you? Or what's your favorite story about a time when you were young? Or, you know, asking, asking questions that are unconventional involves some level of social risk. And so we actually just don't ask, um, which is really, really phenomenal. And if you look at, um, well, you've got uh, three kiddos, or they're older kiddos now, but... Um, we did in the uh, our most recent edition of our book, Ask Powerful Questions, we did a bunch of research to figure out how many questions people ask. And kids between the ages of two and five ask on average 300 to 400 questions per day. And the, uh, one of the studies that we found was from the UK and they followed um, stay-at-home parents, both moms and dads. And found that on average, the parents were asked a question every two minutes and 36 seconds from the time they woke up to the time they went to bed. Um, now, on the other hand, adults ask on average six to 12 questions per day. Super different 
uh, reality, super different reality. And so um, why don't we go for gulps and connect? I think at some point along the way, we've lost our curiosity for each other. And so we get in these conversation ruts and our connections follow the pattern of status quo rather than the um, pattern of surprise and curiosity, sometimes especially with the people we know most. I think, you know, my wife is the first person that I'm um, vulnerable to to lose my curiosity about because I see her every day. I talk with her every single day. Um, but she's the person I think in my life that I need to be most curious about and stay curious about. So that's a little bit of a roundabout answer, but I think there's a national or international curiosity deficit would be the short answer. Was there any stats about teenage boys and how many questions, if any, they ask? <laughs> it's negative 15. They only make statements. No. It's not, it's, I bet it's um, quite low. <laughs> unless it's to do with food. Where is the food, mom? Right. Um, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think, um, I, I think we you mentioned it earlier that we've everyone's so busy everyone's so busy rushing through life it's going to be really interesting to see how this current period of time we're living in will change this but what I see is people are almost overwhelmed uh, with everything that's on their list so they're rushing through life passing moments of opportunity and each other Um, I think the whole connection piece networking piece has become overcomplicated and one of the things I often say to people, you know, networking is simply connection. It's it's just being interested in another person. Why have we made it such hard work? Why have we made it a seven easy steps to or a 12 easy or three easy steps to? It's become this superficial conversation versus a true interest in in each other. And I think um, you know, this this feeling of overwhelm, of, of overcomplication, of being stretched for time has just made so many people over it that they have become internalized versus genuinely curious or interested in the person that they're meeting, which is actually quite quite a sad state of humanity when all we're doing is simply transferring information from one person to another versus a curiosity about the beautiful human being that's in front of you wherever wherever you get chance to connect. Um, so I'm hoping that this is going to be one of those eye-opener situations, learnings for all of us with what we're currently going through. Um, because without connection, there's, it doesn't matter how much strategy we have in organizations without people feeling connected to each other and being, uh, driven towards some set, some similar outcome, no change will happen. Yep. You got it. There's, uh, there's a way that that's the foundation. If that's not there, um, you know, Peter Block had this, uh, quote that I really love of without relatedness, no real work can occur. And so I would, you can do work, right? You can do activity. You can check things off of um, lists, but if you really want to be operating at a remarkable or brilliant level, um, that foundation of connection is really important. And I I say that too. um, I've learned over the years too, to, add a caveat to that, which is that um, I picture connection on a bell curve. And it I do think that in a 
in a working context, it is actually possible to be too connected with your team. Um, that there's like an optimal level of um, authenticity and vulnerability and comfort and connection and trust with a team member, but it can become uh, too familial sometimes um, and actually ends up, it changes the nature of the re relationship and creates um, issue. And that's a, that can be a, um, an interesting balance to strike being in the, the world of encouraging people to connect and ask deeper questions than they're um, typically used to. Uh, there's a really fine balance between asking people something that pushes them a little too far um, versus, you know, keeping, keeping in a place where they're feeling psychologically safe. And how do you know where that tipping point is? So anyone listening to this is probably going, yeah, you know, that's how, how familiar do I get? Where's, where's the tipping point? How do you start identifying that tipping point in the bell curve? I think that uh, the two words that I would toss in are permission and choice. Um, and so seeking, Hey, like, I'm really curious about something. Do you mind if I ask you a uh, kind of a big question and being totally okay with that person saying yes or no. Um, and so oftentimes if we're cur we don't want to allow our curiosity to turn the other person into an object, right? We want our curiosity to serve them as well, not just to serve us. Our curiosity isn't like we don't become miners and just go mining for data. Um, so that's one. And then choice is um, remembering. So one of the things I'll, I'll do with, with big groups is, we have these cards that have questions on them. They're called We Connect cards. And so um, before all this uh, COVID stuff exploded, I was um, doing a keynote with a nice intimate group of 8,000 people. And every one of the 8,000 had a card in their hand, had a question. And so I knew in a group that of that size, there were some people that were like, oh man, I'm so not into this. And there were some people who were like, I'm ready to go. And so the way that, I frame choice in that conversation is reminding people that whether a, whether a question feels really deep or feels really superficial as human beings, and the reason that I love questions is we have 100% complete autonomy in how we answer any question. And so I can ask you, hey, Janine, what is life teaching you right now? Which is like, whoa, not a question you'd ask somebody at a bus stop, but I could ask you that. And you could answer that by saying, oh, the room's a little warm. I would like to turn the temperature down. Or you could share a story about going to a shelves emptied grocery store um, during this very odd time, right? Two very, very different responses. But, but So I think... Um, reminding people that they have choice in the types of conversations that they have. Cause I think sometimes we, we forget that. And then when we do forget that and we feel compelled to answer, especially if a boss asks us a question and we feel compelled to answer, we feel like we don't have choice. Then the, we start to get onto the other side of the bell curve where uh, performance goes down and maybe resentment shows up in some way. Mm, I love I love that 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 analogy of the bell curve. Um, from your perspective, when you know, I'm often asked, you know, what, how do I open up a conversation? So, as you said, there you've got a book all around asking powerful questions. Um, when people ask you that, what advice do you give them in terms of how to start the conversation, how to open up the conversation? 
I think the the first bit is being really clear about your intention um, and actually sharing that with the person that it affects. I think so often, um, let's see if I can uh, dig an example of this where I totally flopped. Oh, this is <laughs> this is a really interesting one. So um, I was on a uh, flight that got canceled. I was actually um, landing my flight and there were, it was too cloudy to land. And so we actually flew all the way back to the origin airport and it was the last flight of the day. So I knew that it was kind of done and there was a handful, we weren't that far. And so there was a handful of people that were getting together to um, drive. And so I was sitting, my seatmate next to me um, was a female about my age and so and who was also going to drive and so we were both going to rent separate rental cars drive to the same location it was just all silliness and so um my intention was to build a relationship of trust in that moment um and so being really clear about that intention um which is you know, <laughs> practicing what I would share or preach with somebody else was a moment where that flopped or failed because being really clear about that intention her brain was still going mm, axe murderer, not an axe murderer, too tired to drive. She, like all these things were running through um, her head, uh, not to trust me. And so, um, being clear about our intention, um, but being also mindful that our intention might influence the impact of that relationship, but it doesn't uh, control the outcome necessarily. So, um, what ended up happening was uh, we were in the line to um, get a, a rental car and a somebody else who had been at a workshop that I facilitated like years ago, looks across the um, terminal, across the uh, waiting area. And it's like, Oh, Chad, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. And immediately in that moment, there was trust and rapport built for my seatmate who was sitting next to me. Right. So in that moment, it was the third party like affirmation. And so um, all of that to say, I think that intention can make things a little bit more transparent and set people at ease. Um, and it's not a, a panacea, right? Sometimes uh, people don't just don't trust your intention in that uh, in that moment. And then the second quick one, um, viewing curiosity as like a setting, you know, on your app, you want to turn notifications on or off. Um, you want to turn do not disturb on or off you want to turn curiosity in your brain on or off. And I think it actually is that simple. I think we've lost our curiosity. I think a lot of us, our education has taught us to find the right answer rather than to explore possibility. And so um, when we're with people and we're seeking to create connection and make that easier, flipping the on switch of curiosity in our brains to actually say like, okay, what am I, what do I know about this person? And what am I curious to know about them? in that place. And so lately I've been liking, uh, carrying just in my mind or pocket little question templates. Um, and so like, you know, what is one of your favorite stories about blank and then fill in that blank with one word that you're curious about that person. Um, yeah, that was a little garbled mess of, uh, of thoughts. No, it's good. It's really good. I love it. So who, um, if you, if you look back on the people that you've, you know, been part of your world, um, 
who taught you this stuff? Where did you start picking it up, this power of connection, the impact that it can have? Um, you know, looking back, who do you, who pops up in your mind as somebody that nailed it, that you learned from? Yeah, I could, um, when people ask, like, how did you wind up where you are or doing what you're doing? Um, I say the shortest version of that story are like four people's names. So Lori, Sam, Jeff, Will, and Rod, that's five people, um, are people that I met ironically, um, for the most part through, um, I'm trying to actually through fairly spontaneous connections. And so, uh, Sam and Lori, uh, co-created an organization in the U S um, called world in conversation. And it's this phenomenal nonprofit that sits people down to talk about stuff. You don't typically talk about for 90 minutes. So really fuzzy topics like race, gender, culture, long-term conflict, um, with strangers. And so I ended up, I was like on my way to a meeting and I bumped into Sam in the hallway. We chatted for five minutes and he looked at me and he had no idea what he was doing, but he looked at me and he was like, I'm not sure what, like what just happened, but you need to come work for me. And, um, and so that was, that led to uh, five years and 500 conversations about stuff that people don't usually talk about. And so it was just like a PhD in humanity. So um, and I literally mean 500 dialogues for 90 minutes with eight to 12 people in each one. And that was like, I don't, I didn't, I definitely didn't have the patience for a PhD, but um, the, you know, the 5,000 or so people in unique individuals that were in those conversations were my teachers um, over that course of five years. And then um, Jeff taught me to meditate and remember myself and distance myself from myself. And Rod taught me a library of um, engaging group exercises that break the often the sage on the stage dynamic that shows up. And Will is now my uh, co-founder and practice partner, business partner. And I met him um, also working at World in Conversation. And Patch Adams. Mm, and Patch Adams. We've got to love Patch Adams. So when we were off, off air, you shared with me that one of the things you did in those early days was a, a failure resume. Um, so starting to get curious about the things because we often talk about, you know, the great stuff, the champagne moments, the unicorns, the rainbows. You, you've built a great business and you're working with some fabulous, fabulous clients right now. Um, but what about some of those best failures looking back and you go, oh, my God, at the time it was hell. But, wow, I learned so much about myself during that. Can you share some of those? Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of a failure resume, um, came from Dan Pink who wrote, uh, to sell as human and drive and a whole bunch of other fun books. And the idea is basically, and so it actually is a document. It's, it's not, um, something that I've stopped doing. So I just added something to it the other day. I led a, I was so excited. We were relaunching the second edition of our book. I did a, a beautiful 15 minute Facebook live webcast, super engaging. I was calling out the people who were um, jumping on to watch. So like had some creative ideas built in and make it interactive. 
and then I ended it and realized my mic was off. <laughs> my mic was never connected. And so I jumped over to my failure resume, added that as the title. So you, it, it, if you actually see it, it looks like a resume, but instead of all of my accomplishments and places that I've worked, it, I give a title to each one of my blunders or failures and then the bullet points underneath rather than what I did or, or how I contributed to the failure. Um, I just list out what I actually learned from that failure. And, um, it has been a remarkable, um, vault or library to put everything that I do that stinks, um, which is, you know, you know happens fairly frequently. <laughs> and so on there are, uh, retreats with ideal clients that I was so pumped to lead. I thought we were going to be working together for years and years, flew to Barcelona to work with them and did a crap job. They hated it. And we never worked together again. Right? Um, and, and things like that. And, you know, that happened lots of years ago and I'm still fine. And everything that's on that list, I'm still fine. And so one of the best reminders is actually just uh, owning that failure and seeing some play like it it just failure just immediately equals learning in my mind because it's classically conditioned to be like, okay, what should I title this? And what will be the two to three bullet points underneath it that I need to put on my failure resume, which is getting quite long at this point. It's been going for about six or seven years now. And does that help you? Because there's a, there's probably a few people listening that I'm imagining will be beating themselves up at some point or other for some failure that's either going on right now or in the past. But I'm imagining being as black and white as that almost helps lift you out of that potential spiral out of control. It puts it into perspective. Is that is that what you found? Yeah, well, I've found that I haven't put the same thing on the resume twice. So whatever blunder that was, I've learned from it and it's allowed me to navigate around it and just discover a new failure, you know, one step beyond um, that one. Whereas before that, I need to think for a moment about an example yeah, who am I kidding? There's probably still plenty of examples that are still um, happening in my life right now that are repeat things that I beat myself up about for some reason. But when I actually write it down and it has a name and a title, it's almost characterized. Um, the idea of going to the failure resume and like writing it down again and again and again and again, and like seeing that on a page like it was copy and pasted 10 times is just for some reason, there's just a block like that, that can't happen. So I won't put myself in the position where it will happen. Mm, absolutely. So, so coming back to your area of expertise, connection, building trust, uh, getting people working together, uh, changing culture, I'm imagining. Um, why is it, why is it such a passion of yours? Why is it so important? Hmm. I think without it, I'm not sure that life has very much meaning or flavor. I think that, you know, imagine doing all the things that you've done, uh, or writing books creating awesome podcasts, helping people be more brilliant, 
Um, but you had nobody to share that with, nobody to uh, tell that to. There's a way that like, if you just evaporate connection, um, which is actually one of the things that I, I think is happening right now as we're all social isolating and quarantining during COVID-19 is, at least for me personally, one of the things I'm recognizing is, holy smokes, I really appreciate gathering with people in person. And so when I walk around my neighborhood and I'm staying, I see people, but I'm talking to them six feet away, like there is something uh, intangibly essential about being within a six foot bubble to somebody else. Um, and, and I think you feel that when you're taught, when you're having a conversation with somebody standing two meters away, it feels stupid. It feels weird. Um, and so I think we're totally wired um, to connect. And yet the the pendulum, and the pendulum will swing back um, at some point, but the the I think it already is actually, but the pendulum has swung um, pretty far, pretty deep into communicating heavily through technology, even before um, all of this. And so I think in a world that is hyper, hyper connected, we are hyper connected, consuming lots of sips. But going back to that original analogy, if you are really, really thirsty on a hot summer day and you come back and you pick up this ice cold glass of water with condensation on the outside and you pick it up and you're so, so thirsty, you haven't had a sip of water in days and you pick it up and you lift the glass to your mouth and you just go and take a little sip, it's totally unsatisfying. And yet we're doing that every single day at work. Email, text, group me, sip, 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 sip. Um, and we do that all the way into the night until we go to bed. And sometimes we go through a day without actually sitting down and having like one really wonderful gulp of conversation or connection with another person. Not always, but sometimes. And so I'm out to make it easy to get those gulps. I love it. There's a lot of, um, I don't know whether you've noticed in your world, um, but there's a lot of people talking about how wonderful it is to connect through Zoom. You know, they've got all these meetings happening online. Isn't it crazy that this, you know, digital platform is allowing us to connect, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, what's your opinion on face-to-face -face versus online connection? So I actually, um, for the past week and actually this coming week, I'm leading a whole bunch, uh, a whole series of virtual connection labs um, and on Zoom. And uh, I've been loving doing them. And I think they have been giving uh, people gulps. And uh, the question though, when I'm thinking about, you know, face-to-face -face online, like video calls versus actually being in person with somebody is I think for a while, while like that technology was being developed, we were asking the question, um, how can we make this most like being in person, right? So Cisco created these crazy telepresence systems that cost a quarter of a million dollars to make it feel like there were four people sitting in a boardroom here and then four big TV screens sitting over here and they were in two different cities or four different cities or whatever. Um, and I think that that question is limiting. I think the question that we have the opportunity now to ask is how, what can we do virtually that we actually can't do in person? So for example, um, I just led a workshop for 175 teachers in Boston the other day from my living room. 
And uh, they're all in the position now, uh, which you might be experiencing with uh, your kids of figuring out how in the world do I teach a bunch of wild kids um, through Zoom and, or through whatever platform. And, um, you know, we're, we're starting to unpack things that things that they can't do uh, if they're actually in the classroom. For example, okay, hey, everybody, I'm starting a 60 second timer run outside your room, find some object that you absolutely love that represents a part of who you are and run back to the room. And we're going to get into breakout rooms on Zoom and share that object with people. You can't do that if you're stuck in a classroom. I guess you could do show and tell or you could have people bring it in. Um, mm. Can't avoid groupthink in the same way, right? In, the, in a chat on Zoom, if you need a group of 150 people to decide chocolate or vanilla, you can have them all type into the chat on Zoom, chocolate or vanilla, but not press enter. And then on the count of three, they all press enter at the same time um, or have them uh, vote in a poll and like things that you just can't do quite as easily face to face. So I've been trying to lean more toward that rather than trying to make this feel just like um, being in person. Um, and then the other bit you know, in addition to all these like flashy technologies or plugins or things that we can add into the online environment, I think at the core, um, really great curiosity or really great conversations that are, uh, have clear intentions are rooted in curiosity are filled with open-ended questions and really deep listening and a splash of empathy, um, do far more to create connection in an online environment, but that's the, also the same in person. And so just going back to the fundamentals of people want to be seen, heard, and understood, we can actually do that over a video call. It, we just need to be really intentional about it, maybe even more intentional than in person. Mm, great, great insight. So um, to sort of wrap this up, I've got a couple more questions. And the first one is, um, you know, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance, helping. Um, one of my beliefs is that everybody has incredible genius and brilliance in them. Um, it's just that for some reason we hide it, whether that's a self-doubt piece, uh, feeling like an imposter, uh, not feeling good enough. But if we can unlock um, that brilliance, we have the opportunity to connect better, uh, to collaborate better, to unlock opportunity around us. So I'm curious from your perspective, what, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you? Oh, okay. I am going to take a risk. I'm actually going to run into Otto's nursery. I'm going to risk waking up a newborn baby because there is a little uh, short poem hung right above his crib that I, uh, when I'm intentional and not frazzled and exhausted, I read to him um, at night and I would love, maybe we can uh, pause at this point. Um, it yeah. could be a really beautiful way to wrap up, but it is totally sums up my perspective. So wish me luck uh, that he doesn't wake up and I'll be back in a moment. Janine? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. I'm here. Okay. I can. I can. I can. Okay. Are you ready? Is it okay if I read this? Absolutely. Please go for it. All right. So it is titled Our Deepest Fear. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. 
It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And when we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. By Marianne Williamson. I love that quote. It's one of my um, absolute favorite quotes, and I couldn't agree more. Um, I often say to people, if we can start accepting our own imperfection instead of beating ourselves up about the mistakes that we're making, um, if we can start rising above our own limitations instead of making excuses, if we can do those things, then uh, we actually are able to do that for the people around us. And I think if we can all start getting out of our own way, that's how we can um, start being brilliant together, start connecting better, start building better trust, um, start working together to find the answers, the solutions, whatever that it is that we need in this planet and for each other to create those ripple effects that will spread out far further than that initial connection i love that quote thank you for sharing chad yeah yeah that, hearing what you just said um reminds me of a, a phrase that i really love that world in conversation i uh, used to use kind of as an internal motto which is a tiny act can have profound effects and so that like that little imperfection when shared i think can make quite a big splash and yet there's an element of social risk to go ahead and share that um, in the first place. But um, the perceived risk is always far, far greater than the actual risk of opening up and unpacking that a little bit with somebody. Chad, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you uh, today. Thank you for gifting your time to be on today's show. Um, I'll absolutely put in the show notes how people can find you, um, your book, and how they can reach out to you. Um, and thank you for being such a light in terms of helping others build better connections um, and build organizations where there is increased trust and belonging. Really love your work, Chad. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for asking some beautiful questions. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.